You're listening to Accelerate Churches Podcast, located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. We pray you leave inspired, and this message helps you build your faith. We hope you enjoy this word from our lead pastor, Ernest Grant II. Come on. All right. All right. Because I have a lot of family below the Mason-Dixon line, that means that I spent a lot of time on 95 traveling to go see them. Anybody else in here? Nobody's traveled on me. I-95. So I mean, we were on 95. We've been on 95 so much, I feel like I know every landmark. Every time I see that Sally Mae building, I'm triggered. <laughs> triggered. I'm like, I'm like, man, I should say something really inappropriate about them right now. But thank you for giving us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And thank you for giving us hundreds of thousands of dollars of loans and keeping us in debt. Anyway, anyway, <clears throat> anyway, 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 I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, so, so we were always spending time on 95 going to see uncles in Maryland and cousins uh, uh, all over the, 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 the region. I, it, was, it was a lot. We did a lot of traveling when I was younger. And the thing about 95 is eventually 95 splits off, right? It splits off to what I would describe as an express lane and a local lane. In the local lane, People are moving kind of slow. And let's be honest, it's kind of congested, right? It kind of hinders you from getting to your location as quickly as you want it to get to. In the express lane, I love it because you can hit the pedal to the metal and you can just go. You can get to where you want to get to. The only problem with the express lane is it doesn't have something called an exit. So if you find out that your car or your vehicle is in trouble... You really cannot get off. You have to stay on it for a long time. And the truth is, is that sometime when you get into the express lane, you'll get in it accidentally and then pass your exit and then have to go much further than you desired, only to come back around. And what you end up doing is wasting time, energy, and effort going in a direction that you never should have gone in in the beginning. And I think the same thing that applies to us driving also applies to much of our dating life. Because some of us are in relationships right now, dating relationships right now that we have put in the express lane when we, have, we should have exited long ago. Oh, nobody want to talk back to me. Only Rob. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Right? right? Like some of us are in dating relationships right now and you're just trying to make it work. You're doing everything you can. You are investing. There you go. i got some amen corners over here. They've got some. In, you're investing enormous amounts of energy into this relationship. You have this big resume of the things you want, but it's just not working out. And then on the other end, we have some people that are in long-term relationships. And you've been investing. You pay bills together. You live together. And you're just wondering, like, yo, am I wasting my time because I've been in this thing so long? And so what's happening now is... We're misunderstanding what dating actually is. Dating is not an antidote for your loneliness. If you're lonely, get into a community group or crew. If you need companionship, get into a crew. Dating is for you to assess the suitability of a potential partner so that you can decide whether you want to be in this thing long term. And so you invest a little bit of commitment up front because you don't want to invest so much and find out that that person doesn't match your values on the back end. Right? That, that, that's, what, that's the purpose of dating. But some of us are in relationships right now with people 
that we're just trying to make work, but we really should have gotten them off that exit a long time ago. You've been trying to make it work for the kids. You've been trying to do it because you don't want to mess up your relationship. Let me just tell you something. A lot of times when you delay the hurt, you're also delaying your healing. Because the pain of that breakup is not going to be as bad as the pain of staying in an uncommitted relationship with someone that doesn't have the emotional or relational investment into you. Are y'all hearing me? So, so he said, so it's kind of tricky, right? So you got the people that are, you know, like that awkward dating stage where you're like going out on dates, but you're not an item. And you're like, should I break this off? Probably, probably. I'll tell you why in a second, right? And some of us are in long-term relationships. So this is what I want to do today. This is what I want to do. I want to help you decide whether what you're in is something that you need to get out of or whether it's just a pothole in the relationship, right? Because a lot of times, this is what our culture tells us. Our culture says, oh, you know, it's just casual. Relationships are casual. You have casual sex. And you you fall in love and you fall out of love. You do it casually. But when you got that nasty text message after you got cheated on, it didn't feel casual, did it? When your mom cheated on your dad and you had to split households and you had to live with your dad on the weekends and your mom during the weekday, that didn't feel casual, did it? And so what I think is happening right now is many of us are in these casual, convenient relationships when we really need to be by ourselves because God is doing some stuff with us in community that he won't do in relationships. Are y'all hearing me? Y'all hear me today? Okay, so, so this is what I want to do. I want to give, this is my subject for today. I want to preach from this subject. What, when do you know... That is time to let go. When do you know that it's time to let go? Now, I want you to know, caveat this, I'm not specifically speaking to my married folk. For my married folk, uh, it, well, I'm not going to preach a sermon on divorce right now, but if you have any questions, go to Matthew 5, Matthew 19, 9, Deuteronomy 32, and 1 Corinthians 7. They give you a paradigm of what a divorce is and some biblical reasons for it, right? One of them is sexual immorality, right, 19:9, right? Except pornea, pornea is sexual immorality, so it's a wide range of sins, abuses, and all that type of stuff. Matthew, First Corinthians seven talks about how you shouldn't break up unless there is, a, unless you shouldn't separate unless there is some type. I forget what it is. Forgive me. I just take what he's saying is is that there are some abuses that go on in relationships that should necessitate separation and divorce. But that's not discernment for the day. Okay, you got that. So I'm primarily speaking to my dating people. Some of y'all need to go home and break up. That's just the truth. Some of y'all have been holding on for a long time, like, Pastor, it's been a month, and we're in, it's been a month, and we're still not getting along. Well, that's because it's not going to work out, and that's okay. Not, every, not everybody's going to work out, all right? So here we go. We're in Song of Solomon here. Uh, we're, this is a poetic love story between two lovers, right? Some expositors say this is them face-to-face just exchanging vows to one another, right? I'm not vows, but affection. Like, girl, you look good. Nah, you look good. No, nah, you look good. You know, that bubbly state in a relationship where your stomach is bubbling. That's what's going on, right? And so let's, let's look at these compliments, and I think that will kind of give us some insight into... Um, when we know it's time to off-board a relationship or not. Is that all right, church? Is that cool? All right, here's the first one. Here's the first one. Let's start at chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read this for it. It says, while the king is on his couch. All right, let's just stop there, right? While the king is on the couch. Now, I, this is what I want you to know. Um, this is the second time in this book that she's called him a king. Second time. But you know, as we've been working through this sermon series, that he's not a king, he's actually a shepherd. Y'all hearing me? He, that's not his occupation. He doesn't live in the royal palace. 
He wrangles sheep in the pasture. He doesn't wear royal regalia. He's dealing with the goats that are in the field. And so he's probably wondering, like, baby, why do you keep calling me a king? And I would say it's because even though you don't look like a king on the outside, baby, I see a lot of king-like traits on you on the inside. Right? So she's saying, so here's the first one. Here's the first one. Here's the first one. It might be time to off-board a relationship if they stop seeing your potential. If they stop seeing your potential. She's like, baby, what I see in you is I see your entrepreneurial skills. I see your ability to take care of vulnerable sheep when nobody is watching, which is a testament to your character. I see how you are responsible and you got some entrepreneurial skills. Like you may not have the title of the king, but you sure do have the traits of a king. That's what she's saying. And sometimes, sometime, you know what I think in Dayton? Sometimes we could be so nearsighted. We're looking for that person that's got it all together, got the house and the car and the clothes and the money and all that type of stuff. I want to encourage you that although that is important, don't fixate so much on who that person is, but also consider who that person is becoming as they walk with Jesus. Who they're becoming. Because what I notice is a lot of times we try to invest in stock after they're at an all-time high. But what about before they get the valuation? Like we want it when it's $400 billion, but what about that entrepreneur that's working on this stock behind the scene and trying to get all of the different investors to give money to it, right? So what's happening is we want somebody all put together, even though we ain't all put together. You ain't been to therapy in three months. Stop it talking about you want somebody emotionally healthy. Talking about he got to make six figures and all that. That ain't what really constitutes love and relationships, material wealth. I want to know, do they got some entrepreneurial drive? Do they have a little bit of hustle? If, if the ends don't meet, are they willing to go out there and ride Uber until they do meet in order to bring about a sense of solidification in a relationship? Yes, That's what I want to know. See, a lot of times we're always looking for people that got it put together and, and all that. Well, a lot of times... And not all, this is not always the case, but a lot of times people that don't have to have it all put together have had everything handed to them. But when the hardship and the difficulty and the, and the problems come, do they have the grit to make it through? Right? When, the, when they're the captain of the ship of the relationship, can they see through the fog and say, you know what, baby? I see the storm. I see the sun on the other side. It's a question. So you have to see people's potential sometimes. Is that all right? We got to let go of some of, them unexpected, some, some of those expectations. So then she moves on. She says, not only that, baby, but she begins to describe him as three beautiful, fragrant smells, right? Let me go to the verse, right? This is what it says. It says, my, while the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. The one I love is a satch of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. The one I love is a cluster of henna blossom to me. Right? She's, she's really landed on thick, man. She's like, and here's what I need you to understand. A, a, a satch is something that would sit between a person's breast, and it had ointment in it. It had, like, different type of perfumes and colognes and all that type of stuff. And this is important because in the ancient Near Eastern world, uh, they didn't have deodorant, right? They, they didn't have, um, you know, antiperspirants, if you will. They didn't have that, so they would get a little musty sometimes, right? It, this is what happened. Some of us are like, I don't use antiperspirants today. Don't you know that that is a cancer-causing agent? You need to, you know, you need to get something else, right? It's all good. I'll leave that alone. So what they would do is they would take these ointments and they would rub it over their bodies 
so that it would cover it up the smell. So she says, so she describes him as perfume. She says, because you're highly prized and valued. She says, I, I, I compare you to myrrh, because what they would do with myrrh, it's like the, the oils that you get from the Muslim spots, right? You would take the oil from the Muslim spots, you would pour it into the lotion. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. It's, I'm, 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 I'm still in Camden. I'm sorry. I know I'm in Cherry Hill. This is a Camden illustration, Philly, North Philly illustration. But what you do is you had these little oils, and you take these oils. I used to love Arabian sandalwood. <laughs> And I pour that into the jerkins, and I shake, shake it up, and then when you put it on, but y'all, th- stop acting like y'all, you put it on, you wipe it down, you know what I'm saying? You wipe yourself down, and what would happen is, now I stopped wearing that because my dad was like, yo, son, I was like, yeah, dad, <laughs> how I smell, how I smell, he said, uh, you smell like bug repellent, and I was like, I was like, all right, cool, that's all right, <laughs> I got you. So, so, what, so I would, you, you, they would put this on, and that's what they would do with the myrrh. They would pour the myrrh with the oil, and they would rub it on their bodies, and it would be smooth to the touch. And then she said, you're like a cluster of henna blossoms, whatever. Henna would just bring just great smell and aroma. So what she's saying is like the way that all of these fragrances freshen up my body, you bring life and fragrance to my life. That's what she's saying. So, so here's the second point. You know it might be time to off-road a relationship if they're more of an odor than fragrance in your life. They're more of an odor than a fragrance in your life, right? Like, like that, that's what you might need to understand. See, this is what you have to understand about En Gedi. En Gedi was an oasis. Do you know what an oasis is? Yeah, you know, you went to geography class before. An oasis is like this lush vegetation that pops up in the middle of a desert. All the surrounding areas filled with salt, and there's no water around. But what she's saying is you are like in Getty. In this world that I'm in, that is like an arid desert, you're the one that's bringing joy and fulfillment and life to me. And I just want to know, does that, are you that type of person? In that relationship, it's easy for us to complain about the other person being like a desert, but are you like a desert as well? So she goes on, she's like, yo, I love this man. He's the change of pace that I need. He's not self-absorbed. He's not self-critical. He's not insensitive. In other words, he brings joy to her life. Now, listen, all relationships have up and downs. Like, that's going to happen. You're going to have ups and downs. But for the most part, she's saying that when his name pops up on my FaceTime, on my iPhone, or any off-brand device, I don't know what else y'all use at Android, or any off-brand device, what she's saying is, my heart still flutters. It doesn't make my face scrunch, right? So, this is, so, so I want to ask you, do you bring joy to somebody's life? Are you joy or order to somebody's life? Amen? Here, here we go. So, this, this, so then he responds. He says, how beautiful are you, my darling? Verse 15. He says, how beautiful me are you? Your eyes are like doves. Woo. Now, I don't know why he uses this particular metaphor, but he does. Um, What he's saying, I don't know if he's talking about the shape or the color or the radiance of her eyes, but what he is saying is that he's captivated by them. He's like, I just love the way your eyes look, baby. You just, you just take, you just take me. I love it, right? And so here's what's happening. He's actually doing something very, very intentional because the word dove rhymes with the word in 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 Engedi, right? So what that means is he's building his poetry on top of hers. Do y'all get that? It's beautiful. He's like, no, I'm going to one-up you, baby. Here's what you do for me. What that means is that he is actively listening to her. 
he's checked in to the conversation. Now, I want you to know, like, like, dude, like, ladies, listen, dude, sometimes we zone out, okay? We, we, we zone out. We do. We don't always pay attention, right? We, we don't do that. But you know that it might be time to off-road a relationship, here is number three, if they're not an active listener. If they're not an active listener. Friends, in a dating relationship, like, we're going to zone out. It happens. But if you consistently have to repeat yourself time and time again, they never want to take your advice, they never listen to you, then you know that it might be time to bring this thing to an end. Are y'all with me? Like, like, it might be time. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Every dude has heard this before from a significant other, wife, girlfriend, whatever. We've all heard this. I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to listen. How many men have heard that before? It's okay. I don't need. I don't need you to do anything. Now, initially, when I would hear that, I'd be like, well, <laughs> what do you want me to do? So, you don't want me to do anything. No, 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 no. I just need a listening ear. So, let me get this right. You want me to put my butt in a seat and look you in your face and not try to fix the problem. Just listen to you recount the problem to me, but you don't want me to do anything about it. Yes. I was like, I don't, I don't get that. What, what does that do? Until my, until my wife, until my wife, I married up, by the way. I'll tell you. Until my wife helped me see... She helped me see that listening is actually a form of loving. Listening is loving. Here's why. Because when you listen, what you're doing is you're putting aside your agenda and what you have going on, and you focus your attention on that person, letting them know that what is happening in their life is important to you at this moment, so much so that you're willing to put your stuff on hold so that you can be attentive to them. And when a person doesn't listen to you, what happens, they feel rejected, and ultimately it crumbles the trust of that particular relationship. That's what happens with listening. But the only thing worse than somebody that don't listen is somebody that's always talking about themselves. I could preach a whole sermon on that, can I? Whole sermon. But here's the thing about listening. Listening requires humility and selflessness. I mean, in this other person, is form, it's a form of love. When someone senses that you're listening to them, it can change their entire life. They're like, you know what? Now, I don't need you to come up with a solution. I just need you to give me the confidence that I can handle this problem on my own and don't even need you. That's sometimes what you need. You just need somebody to believe that you can take on this situation. And sometimes that happens by listening. Y'all with me today? It's a sign of strength. Here, here, here we go. Here it goes. She says this, verse 16, how handsome are you, my love? Verse 16, our beds are verdant. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters are cypress. Now, I know that don't mean a lot to us, but I'm going to explain. I want you to notice the pronouns in this verse. She says, our verdant, our beams, our rafters. What she's doing is she's imagining their house together, Right? She's, this is the ancient equivalent of her getting on Zillow or Redfin and just looking at homes. She like, girl, ooh, you see this new house? It got the Venetian bathrooms. <laughs> Baby, we got to get the owner's suite with the room next to it, with the TV on the wall, and the refrigerator with the wet bar. You see this? I do this with my wife all the time. I'm like, girl, you see in this house? She like, yeah, I like this house, uh, but when are you going to apply for a loan? I'm like, <laughs> all right. I married up, but 
you know? That's what she's doing. Like, she's, she's super excited to build a house with this man. So much so, in chapter 2, verse 2, she calls him an apple tree or an apricot tree. <laughs> right? She says, I can't wait to taste your fruits. Right? It's not a sexual innuendo. I know. It's not a sexual innuendo. <laughs> I know. I know. There are some times where it is. This is not one of them. This is not a sexual innuendo. What she's saying is, what she's saying is, in the ancient time, an apricot or an apple tree, depending on how you translate this, is a, is a, uh, is a tree that grows in arid conditions. And so in arid conditions, you know that there's not a lot of rain. And so because there's not a lot of rain, what the tree has to do is it has to send its roots deeper into the ground in order to find water that's going to produce the fruit that it desires. So what she's saying is, baby, you've got substance. Baby, you've got value. Baby, when the winds come and the winds blow, you don't get easily blown over because you have some deep roots. Now, another time, this is also a metaphor. Because remember, this poor young lady works outside all day. Somebody like, God bless her. I ain't doing the outside thing all day. But she works outside. And you know what an apple tree does? It grows tall and it has those leaves. So she's like, when I come to you at the end of the day, she's saying, I can rest in the shade and the coolness under the trunk of this tree. In other words, she's saying, baby, you're shady. You're shady. And I just want to ask you today, are you shady? Somebody's like, yeah, I'm shady, but not like this. I'm shady like pet, petty shady. I carry a receipt like an accountant for years and years. That's, that's what. But she's saying like, you just bring refreshment and joy to my life. I can see myself building a future with you. Here's the fourth one. You know it might be time to off-ramp a relationship if, number four, you cannot see building a future with that person. Can you see yourself building a future with them? Can you see yourself starting a family with them? How about building generational wealth? We all love that so much. If you want to build generational wealth, here's the first step. Get a budget. Know where each dollar is coming in and out of. I, tell, I promise you, that's the first way it's hard. Isn't it, Pastor Josh? It's the, it's, it's the, I just had to double check that with my source over there. Right? Get a budget. Right? Can you see yourself building a life with this person? Right? Let me ask you this. Are they a fun fling or are they a firm foundation for a family? Try that out. Right? Are they? Are they? Well, somebody's like, Pastor, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they should. I don't know. I mean, I think, like, I think I like, I like, I like them a lot. Like, but you know, like, how do I know that we're supposed to be here long term? Here, I'm going to help you right now. Write this down. Take a picture of this. Right? You need to have a conversation about smirk. Smirk. There it is. It's on there. It's on there. Need to, after some date, you need to talk about sex, money, intangibles, religion, and kids. At some point, right? Smirk. Somebody say that one time. Right? Right? All right, let's start with sex. Do you think that... Look at Derek. See, he just did... Go ahead, Derek. I see, I see you. The way you did that. Yeah, let's talk about sex first. Let's talk about sex first. Do you think that a healthy sexual relationship... Is sex every day or every or once a week? Y'all need to have a conversation about that. Do you see sex as only for procreation or do you see sex as pleasure? Y'all need to have a conversation about that. Because if one person thinks we're going to have sex once a month, the other, like, no, nah, we should have sex at least, you know, 
every few hours or so. Well, then you, then you got a real problem there, right? You got a real problem there. Y'all need to have a conversation about that, right? What is a healthy sexual relationship, okay? After the relationship begins to bud, trust begins to grow, you start to move toward courtship, then it's time, as you build trust, to reveal some of your sexual past. Not necessarily, I mean, I know there's a big thing about knowing people's body counts and things like that, how many people they had sex with. Y'all work that out. Use your wisdom and guidance for that. But what I'm talking about is the traumatic experiences that you had in your past that will hinder you from having a healthy sex life. What are some things that your spouse is not going to do in the bedroom? Because a lot of us have been informed about sex through pornography. Right? So, and... You know, y'all seen it before. We ain't got. I mean, we, we right, right. We watched it through pornography, right, and R and B videos, and and B E T uncut, right. I'm with you, Pastor. We in the house. They ain't trying to talk back. We here. Thank you. That's what informed us about sex. You learned about sex through Nelly's tip drill video. Yeah, I know. I know. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Right? So a lot of us have a thwarted understanding of, about sex that's culturally informed, but that is biblically anemic. It is. Some of us see p- sex as a means of pleasuring ourselves, whereas we're not, give, we're not doing anything or putting in the effort to pleasure our spouse. So we have to ask the question, what are we, at, at, as trust grows, as character grows, as y'all move to a more serious relationship, what are some things that I'm just not comfortable with in the bedroom? Because it's unfair to force your wife to do some things that she's uncomfortable with. It's unfair. But I'll tell you this. If you buy some roses and you call during the day and you make sure she has her favorite foods and you clean the house... And you make sure that the tank has some gas in it. You volunteer to take care of the babies. You give her a few dollars to go out with her friends. Then you might be on the receiving end of something. A bountiful blessing. That you don't have the room to receive. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to help, just trying to help you in there. That doesn't work all the time. But when that house is clean. The closet is clean. You're not just stuffing everything in there. You, you, you'd be surprised the level of appreciation that your wife, okay, let me, let me just, nobody want to talk real up in here about sex today. Everybody want to talk about smirk. So we talking about, talking about sex. Um, I got little kids in here. <laughs> I was about, to, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the email jcborn at acceleratechurch.tv. According, I'm going to say something PG, okay? It's, it'll be like PG. No, 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 not kidding. It's not going to be PG. All right, let's talk about money. It's not going to be PG. It's not going to be PG, right? Let's talk about money. Are they a spender or a saver? Are you guys going to combine your money or have separate accounts? What's their credit score? What's their buying habits? Are they willing to discuss that? A lot of times we're, we want to talk about somebody's sexual past, but what about their financial future? 
What do they want? To, what do they have? What, what goals do they have financially? Do they like to wear their wealth or do they like to save their wealth? That's something you should talk about. Then there's something called the intangibles. Somebody say the intangibles. These are little things that become really big things when you're angry with one another. Have you ever been angry with somebody and just how to eat chips upset you? <laughs> Why does fool eat chips so slow? Can't stand him. <laughs> right? Right? Are they messy? Or are they clean? Are they a night owl? Are they an early riser? Do they prefer communication through text messages or FaceTime? How do they handle conflict resolution? Do they like to run or do they like to fight? These are questions you need to ask because they will become bigger issues later if you don't talk about them now. You're like, I didn't know you was just so nasty, man. Why you leave the hairs from your chin in the sink? You don't clean up after yourself. Like, you need to know that. Take a friend with you and just... <laughs> no, never mind, never mind, never mind. That's not, that's not edifying, right? There's a, lot, there's a lot of things, right? Here's another one. Uh, what's sex, money? I, I mean... All right, let me say this, okay? Because Christian, some of y'all have come from Christian backgrounds, right? But show of hands, how many of you come from a... Faith background. You've been to church. You believe. Okay, good. Not all of us. Great. All right. It's good. All right. So you heard this term being unequally yoked. That's, that was part of your conversation. Don't be unequally yoked. Can I help you understand what that is? It's a, it's an, it's an, a metaphor used to describe how two strong oxen would plow a field together. Now, if the two oxen are equal or the same in strength, what would happen was they could accomplish four times more together than they could as individuals. But if you had a strong ox that was paired with a weak ox, he actually slowed that other ox down. So they would only be able to accomplish half of what they intended to accomplish. And so what happens is, is in these relationships, it's important that you have someone that has a similar, similar biblical background as you because ultimately you will find one person being spiritually mature and emotionally growing but has to drag along the other person. And that ultimately robs you of your vibrance. Y'all with me? Okay, last one. Kids. First question is, do you like them? If they say no, you're like, ah, man, okay. No. Do you, do, you, do you like kids, right? Potentially, as we grow in trust, how many children do you want? Now, this can differ because a lot of times we agree on the amount of kids. we like, you know what? Two or three is nice. And the next thing you know, you're buying a van. You just, you just, you got them all. Praise God. There's some flexibility. Now, this is not any shade to the cap. I mean, y'all have eight kids, right? So... I don't know if that was planned, but it's a beautiful thing. Shout out to that. But, but these are conversations that need to be had. And the reason that it's important that you talk about kids is because you don't really know how selfish you are until you have children. You don't know. Why we have to buy the expensive baby water? Why that baby can't get Poland Spring? How come tap water, Camden's finest, why that baby can't drink that? Why we got to get the little, the little warming towels for they butt in the middle of the night? Just get some toilet tissue. No, I'm just fine. Just a joke. Just a joke. Sorry, not sorry. Right? No, but I'm saying, nothing will expose your selfishness 
quite like having children. That's why it's important that you have conversations about these. So on date three, when y'all are moving and you're getting a little, you need to be talking about one of these things, right? If you're like, oh, I don't know what to talk about. It's just so butterfly. Oh, yeah. You need to talk about one of these things. You need to know if they're clean, dirty, all right. Does that make sense? All right, let me go on. <laughs> are y'all in a good mood? Good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear you're in a good mood. All right. Okay. First, I want you to not be mad at me that I'm about to say this, okay? And so, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's important, so just don't be mad. If they are envisioning a life together in the house that they want in the future, then it means that they don't currently live together. Are y'all with me? It means if they're imagining the home that they're going to have in the future, it means that they do not currently live together. And so I want to just talk about cohabitation for a second. And I, and I don't want to rail on our couples that are living together. That's not, the, that's not the goal of this. The goal is to help you detox from what culture has to say. Because culture says, oh, you just need to move in together. You need to move in because how are you going to get to know each other? I, I want to get to know you. Like, I want to get to know, like, how do I know? What that's doing is actually, what it's actually doing is it's hurting your relationship. Because it's sending you down a road of perpetual sexual immorality, and that's something that God won't bless. Now, somebody's like, well, isn't the Bible... Ant-? Listen, I want you to know, sex is God's idea. He created our reproductive organs and all that type of stuff, right? And, <clears throat> and, and that moment of ecstasy that you experience in, a, in the love-making moment, that cli- climactic moment, is a small picture of the joy that we're going to have with Jesus in eternity. Are y'all with me? Right? When I'm, I don't want to say it any more plainly than that. Y'all read between the lines. Right? So, so it, it, that's, that's a small sample. And God is the one that came up with this idea of sex. When he said be fruitful and multiply, it was the ability to go out and enjoy and populate the earth. So sex was for procreation because he wanted his little image bearers to repopulate the earth and take dominion over it. It's for protection in the confines of a marriage, but it's also for pleasure because there are portions of your anatomy that were created simply for you to enjoy one another's body in the context of a marriage. Are y'all with me? And so what happens is, is when you have sex outside of marriage, you're taking God's gift and you're misusing it. In other words, instead of taking the Ferrari and putting it on an Autobahn and going and, and, and just going... You are taking that same Ferrari and putting it on, on an off-road course, and eventually it's going to break down because it's all wiggly and because it's all loose. Are y'all hearing me today? So you're not actually helping your relationship. You're actually tanking it. On top of that, there's a growing body of research that says that divorce rates are higher among couples that live together before they get married. I'll give you a receipt. Just text jcborn at acceleratechurch.com. TV. On top of that, it's hurting your witness for Jesus. You're trying to tell all your friends about this amazing church that you go to and, and, and celebrating Jesus, but they're like, but you're living in a way that seems to be contradictory to the way that you're preaching and been telling me to live. Right? So you think it's helping your relationship when in actuality, it's harming the relationship. And on top of that, living together is not a sign of of commitment is a sign of convenience. Y'all hear me? It's convenient. That don't mean that that person is, that doesn't mean the person is committed to you. 
It's convenient. It's convenient sex. It's convenient bill paying. It's convenient companionship. Without all the effort needed in order for you to develop a relationship that comes when you don't live together. Would that person still be pursuing after you if y'all didn't live in the same house? That's the real, that's a, like, I'm not even, I'm not even capping. That's a legit question that you have to ask. And on top of that, Jesus ain't die for you to give somebody girl, you to give somebody husband and wife value for girlfriend and boyfriend prices. He ain't die for that. People be talking about, oh, you got to, you got to go for it. You got to get, you know, you, you got, you don't settle, but you're settling in this relationship. It's settling. It's not a sign of commitment. Well, Pastor, what do we do? Somebody need to sleep on the couch tonight. Somebody need to sleep on the couch tonight. And here's how you, you can have a few word conversation. What are we doing? I'm sorry, that's not the right conversation. What is we doing? Where is this going? Do you want to keep me in this bed for a while or when am I going to get the aisle? and the ring, and the real commitment, because I don't lease out my womb. I don't do that. I, it ain't for rent, right? You're not going to own it when we get married. However, it will be readily available to you once I have a ring on my finger and a real commitment from somebody I trust. Don't you know that Jesus died on the cross for you and he bankrupted heaven? God gave his very best sacrifice to save you. You are infinitely valuable to him. And when you live with someone that's not your spouse and have not given you a commitment, you are derailing and undervaluing yourself. I, don't, I ain't never seen Gucci discounted. Never. I ain't never seen Balenciaga discounted until they did the Yeezy Gap thing. And, you know, that's different. I ain't never seen that. They would rather burn their products, incinerate them, then to give them out as deals because they know the value of what they have. And some of y'all are giving out your Gucci and your Prada and your Balenciaga at discounted rates when you should expect them to pay what they're worth. Let me go on. Glad you're on a good mood. Because what's happening is when you cohabitate, it's really just a cover for a dead relationship. That relationship has been gone, but you have invested so many of your good years and so much good time into it that you're afraid to break up because you don't want to get back on Tinder. You don't want to, get, you don't want to experience the problem of a public breakup. But let me just tell you something. The pain of a public breakup is not as bad as being in a relationship with someone that won't commit to you. Because I, I, I don't want to see any of the ladies in here Look up, had all these babies by these dudes, and then when he passed away, you were in the program or in, at the funeral as their special friend. My African-American contingent knows all about that. It's not what we, stop discounting your value. Y'all get that? All right, let me say this. Because what you'll look up will happen is she's talking about building a house on Cyprus, and she's talking about building a house with, with cedar. Those are some of the strongest woods that you can have. But when you live with somebody that's not committed to you long term, you're really building a house full of cards. And it's not going to be sturdy, all right? 
All right, good. <laughs> good. Let the worship team come. And we go to, I'm going to work, work through, not the worship team, the, the band come. Let me work through this. All right, so here, here's, the, here's my sixth one. Here's my sixth one, and I'm going to sit down because I think it's my fifth one, rather. You know it's time to off-broad a relationship if they're impatient with your resurfacing insecurities and they fail to reaffirm your love publicly. Just hold that up there for a second. What's happening is she describes herself as a lily of the valley. Do y'all see that in text? Chapter 2, verse 1, she says, I'm a lily of the valley. What she's saying is, I'm like a dandelion on a soccer field. And y'all know dandelions on soccer fields are the most annoying thing in the world. And then he says, no, 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 you're not a dandelion on a soccer field. You're a, 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 you're a flower among thorns. So what he's saying is that you're the rose that grew from the concrete. And he's affirming her value. Her insecurities keep popping up. Remember she had the same insecurity in chapter 1, verse 5? When she said, my skin is dark, don't look at me. And she was talking about how the sun had touched her heart, her skin, and darker skinned women were not as appreciated as they should have been in ancient Israel, right? She was insecure then. She's insecure now. But look how this man handles it. He doesn't say you need to get over it. He doesn't say, man, you need to just handle this and deal with it. No, what does he say? He affirms her. And let me just tell you, if you got a man that's not affirming or a young lady that's not affirming of your insecurities, which will pop up all the time, you know you're going wrong. You know you're going down the wrong direction. Then she says this, and I'm finished up. Then she says, your love was over me. I don't really like how that's translated. I, I think the better translation is how they translate it in the ESV when it says, there's a banner of love over me. Let's say I travel to uh, uh, St. Martin. We didn't know that that was the same time that the carnival was going on. And so, you, as you can imagine, I was just holding Sarah the whole time with my eyes closed, just praying. I said, Lord, I Lord, I don't want to see any flesh out here. It's only, only this I want to see, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? And so, what would happen, what would happen is each time a country came by with their float, it would have their name on it. And it would say, like, Jamaica, and they would come out there, it would be amazing. You know, they would, they would have all this, like, people were dancing and having fun, and it was great. Then Antigua would come by, and they were dancing and partying and having fun. It was amazing. In other words, the banner was displayed so everyone could see it. And what she's saying is, is that one of the insecurities that she had in chapter 1, verse 6, I believe, was when she was talking about, where is your sheep? Where do you shepherd your sheep? Why do I have to be like one of the veiled ones? In other words, she doesn't want to be a woman that is unclaimed by someone. She doesn't want to have that little silent relationship on Instagram and Facebook. She wants to know that you really love me and you're not afraid to expose that publicly. And listen, I know, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert at relationships and what's happening with relationships right now, but you have to be very careful. Somebody doesn't want to display public affection or doesn't want their friends to meet you. Or doesn't want people to know you. Like, like, you have to be very, very careful with that. And here's, let me just say this. I know that what, what we're saying today is a hard word. Because some of you need to go home and make some real hard decisions. Right? Some of you have been a boyfriend or a girlfriend a long time. And it's time to know where this relationship is actually going. Some of us are baby dads and baby moms, and there's nothing wrong with that. The world is not broken, but you need to know where this particular relationship is going. It's unhealthy that they keep inserting themselves into your new relationship time and time again. It's time to get some clarity on that. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do, is get some clarity on the nature of your relationship. 
And ultimately, even though you need clarity on that relationship, you will never need clarity on the relationship that you have with God. Because check this out. We have inattentively listened to him. We don't study or read or pray or any of those things trying to connect deeply with God. We don't lavish him with praise and thank him throughout the day. We don't live self-sacrificially at all times. But even though we might need to break up with that particular dating relationship, the beautiful thing is that Jesus will never break up with you. He'll never break up with you. You're his bride. So that's one of the metaphors or pictures of a church is you're his bride. And he he didn't have to live with you in order for you, in order to know if it was going to work out. He loves you for you. So if I said anything today, I'm just telling you. Jesus, the relationship that you have with Jesus really matters. The reason that some of us are staying in toxic situations right now is because we're looking for that to provide fulfillment that only Christ can. And the reason that we're compromising is because we're unsettled in our hearts with the contentment that we need in Jesus. A discontent heart will always compromise. But Jesus is inviting you today and myself to not compromise. To not compromise. So if you don't know Jesus in this place, let me, let me just tell you, you want to, because he can love you in a way that nobody can. He can heal you in the areas that are broken. And you think your biggest issue is your relationship or your money and all that. It's not. Your biggest issue is that your eternal destiny is not settled. Your biggest issue is that the wrath of God, which is the response to our sin, us missing the mark, not doing the right thing. Like, he's our enemy. But through Jesus Christ, he becomes our friend. So much that he would leave the comforts of heaven and endure the punishment that you and I should have for eternity. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get on my apologetic rant here, but one of the reasons that I'm not Muslim or one of the reasons I don't pray to the universe or to our ancestors and things like that is because those are workspace. Those are things that I do to please those deities or please those gods. But the thing about Jesus is, is I can't do enough to please him. So he pleased himself on the cross of Calvary. By dying on the cross for me, resurrecting three days later so that I could have new life. I died to Christ. You and I died to Christ. And if we died, if Jesus can free himself from death and I died with him, surely you can be freed from that broken and tattered up relationship. And so, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Why don't you let me pray for you, Jesus? I just come to you right now. Just saying first, just saying thank you for this lovely group of people that that are here. God, I, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would encourage their hearts, that you encourage their minds, so that they will know that you are deeply loved and valued by them. Lord, some of us have to go and make some really, really difficult decisions when we get home. They need to have the what is we doing conversation, where are we headed? I pray that you'll give them wisdom and clarity as they go. And while your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, if there's anybody here that's tired of doing things on their own and really need Jesus, I want to encourage you. I want, I'm not going to embarrass you, but why don't you lift your hand in the air if you want to know him savingly today. If you, if you want your destiny to be changed, if you want to know that you're going to be with him in eternity, if you want to experience the joy of being in a fulfilling relationship with him, just lift your hand. I promise you, I'm not going to embarrass you. We just want to celebrate with you because you're making the best decision that you've ever made in your entire life. Is there one in the building today?
just lift your hand high. Hallelujah. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for the abundance of your mercy and grace. You've been so good to us, and we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody that agree with that, say, come on, come on. Can we give God some praise in this place?